What's up, guys? Ryan Horn here, and welcome to the Extraordinary Man Podcast. This is the one and only podcast specifically designed to help married businessmen create more profit and purpose in their business without sacrificing their family, health, or marriage in the process. Each week, I interview some of the world's most extraordinary men, including seven- and eight-figure entrepreneurs, elite athletes, best-selling authors, and world-class speakers. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Daniel C. Daniel is the co-founder of Spacemakers, a productivity consulting group for busy leaders. His book, Spacemaker, How to Unplug, Unwind, and Think Clearly in the Digital Age, won the Australian Business Book Awards in 2021 for Best Personal Development Book. As a trainer, coach, and keynote speaker, Daniel has worked with CEOs, executives, and other senior professionals throughout Australia and beyond. His professional history includes leadership roles in physiotherapy, health management, project management, and Christian ministry. He is also the founder of a number of globally accessible productivity courses, such as Email Ninja, List Assassin, and Priority Samurai, with more than 20,000 students online and offline. Daniel lives in Tasmania, Australia with his wife, Kylie, and three children, Naomi, Caleb, and Jethro. And he keeps 14 purebred chickens who eat a lot of grain and lay way too few eggs. <laughs> I love that. All right, Daniel, welcome to the Extraordinary Man podcast. Great to have you on. How are you doing today? Yeah, great to have uh, a conversation with you, Ryan. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely. I'm excited. So, you know, I would love to dive into your backstory and have you tell us a little bit more of um, where you started out from and how you got to where you are now. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. So, look, I'm from Tasmania, a place called Hobart. You may have heard of the Tasmanian Devil, which is, you know, if you watch too much cartoons as a kid, uh, although they don't spin around like they do in the in the cartoons. Uh, and it's this beautiful place at the bottom of Australia, lots of trees and uh, mountains, which I love. We moved here, actually. My wife and I moved here deliberately from South Australia. So I grew up in South Australia. Um, I uh, studied as a physiotherapist originally and you know, learned to, to live and work around the world um, in places like England and, and then eventually moved here. Uh, it was interesting. After about two or three years studying physiotherapy, I also felt really called to um, one day work in ministry and I knew it wasn't quite yet. And so I, I, I ended up you know, working for a number of years in different places, learning to do the hospital circuit and, and I suppose grew up as a person, but also eventually moved into bivocational ministry work. So I've uh, been a church pastor for a number of years as well. We lead what we call micro churches, so groups of people who eat and learn and serve and uh, share together around the suburbs of Hobart. And then we meet uh, as a big group a few times a month, which is a really nice gathering. Uh, and as well as that, I ended up uh, after a while moving from physiotherapy into management and then project management, and then just fell in love with helping equip and train people to make space in their life to think deeply and rest fully and to, to basically be more productive. And that led to a new consulting business, which kind of grew fairly rapidly, uh, which, which is why I, I write and I speak and I train leaders around the world in how to be more productive. And at the other end, you know, I get to live in community and spend time helping people uh, learn more about Jesus. So it's a pretty good lifestyle that I have. Actually, interesting, you talked about the chickens, but I, I also live in community, which is a little, a little curious. Uh, many years ago, I went to Vanuatu and realized just how independent we all live in the West. And I wanted to 
live in a tribe and experience my kids growing up in a village. And so we ended up buying land and uh, we bought two houses or built two houses, some close friends of ours. And as an expression of our life and our faith, we've done life ever since over a decade, just eating. We've eaten hundreds and hundreds of meals together as a community and lots of other people have joined our life in terms of coming into our Wednesday night dinners. So it's been a really great way to share land and share chooks, uh, still live as professional people, but experience something of an interconnected life with friends and family. Yeah, that, that's really awesome. I, I love it. It definitely sounds like you have your hands in lots of different things. So I mentioned in, in the bio, your book, obviously, why did you write the book about making space in the digital age? Yeah. So I originally uh, wrote, well, it, it probably comes out of me having my hand in too many pies to start with. I mean, in my 30s, uh, I found myself in this situation where I was managing a large physio service and a physiotherapy service. And I was also starting a business as a hobby and I was helping to lead a transition in my church and I was building a house and I had young kids and I started to actually have breathing issues. Uh, and I, I wondered if I was struggling with my heart or if there was some allergy problems, but then the breathing got worse and I found that I was breathless at work and then I was breathless at the dinner table and eventually breathless just reading books to my kids. And um, and really, uh, the bottom line is when we did all the tests and I talked to my doctor, it was anxiety or burnout, or I was actually just pushing the envelope too hard in some areas of my life and not caring for myself and my health enough, uh, saying yes to too many things and taking on too many projects at the same time, uh, which might relate to some of you. But I, um, it, it really challenged me to slow down and to take stock of my values and my habits and my rhythms. I, I ended up making some hard decisions to slow down with work and to, to focus on one or two things. Uh, but I also created patterns in my life where I started to unplug as a pattern and a rhythm where I started to take a Sabbath, uh, which I now call a digital Sabbath because I don't use technology on a day a week, uh, where I started to rest more regularly and uh, I suppose apply predictable patterns in my life, which ended up changing the way I saw productivity uh, the way I saw family and, and actually the way I saw faith. Uh, and, and so the book really is, you know, 10 years later is an expression of some of what I've seen, but particularly focused on the digital realm and the habits and practices that we need to implement in our lives in a world where many of us are overusing our digital technologies because nowadays tech almost uh, invades every aspect of our life. And if we are to truly be successful and healthy and whole, we're going to need to reframe and rethink our relationship with the online world. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned the digital Sabbath. I have a friend that does something similar to that. What are some of the benefits of doing it that you've experienced? Yeah. So look, I think digital Sabbath, I've got a bunch of practices in my book and one of them is the digital Sabbath. I spend a whole chapter unlocking it because it's taken so long for me to kind of create a pattern in my life where I truly have a day for rest and remembrance or rest and reflection. Uh, and uh, I, 
I originally thought it would be easy to teach people. I, I'm not sure why, because it took me a long time to work it out myself. But I just thought, you know, turn off your phone a day a week, turn off your devices and actually focus on other things. But what I realized very quickly is that it's really hard to do that, like all the tech habits, all the space making habits, as I call them. And it's not because it's hard in principle to understand. I mean, how hard it is to say, okay, turn off your phone for a day, a week. But it's really hard because of our paradigm and our beliefs and the way in which we interact relationally with technology. So in in my so this is not quite answering your question, but in my book, I I actually spent a lot of time trying to help reframe our relationship with technology so that we can understand at a head and a heart level why we're so drawn to our devices. Because unless we can address our mindset of technology, I don't think the habits will stick. So I'm really happy to give tips and tricks about how you might create a day a week, you know, 24-hour pattern. Uh, for, for digital Sabbath and, and how you might orientate it around rest and reflection, uh, how you might create a ritual so you switch off from work uh, and then switch into rest. I think the ritual is important and, and how you might define what your work is and therefore what is truly restful and create a true day of rest. So I can give tips about that. Um, but, but what I've found is that You'll never get there if you don't change your digital paradigm. <laughs> and so I'd rather start with that if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That that makes total sense. So could you share some of the benefits of it? Why would somebody want to do that? You know, what are some of the, the benefits that you've experienced or people that you've worked with have experienced? And maybe some things that they weren't expecting too. Yeah. So I think it starts with asking the question: what is work and what is rest? So when I looked at, because I mean, I I I shouldn't have to argue that it's good to have a day off. I mean, I'm assuming most people see the benefit of resting. If you're not sure of that, the research says if you work, you know, 60 hours a week and crunch those many hours for four weeks, your productivity will go up and then it will steadily go down to the point where you're working, you're, you're outputting less than 40 hours a week of output, even though you're working 60 hours a week because you're exhausted, you're not focused. Uh, and you don't even know that you're not actually achieving what you think you're achieving. Like you're, you're deluded in your output. Does that make sense? So, um, but in terms of the importance of resting, uh, the problem in the digital age is the way in which we work is so similar to the way in which we rest. And therefore, we struggle to actually experience deep rest. And here's what I mean by that. So I'm a digital worker. I mean, I, I'm chatting with you right now on Zoom. I spend most of my time communicating through podcasts or speaking online or training or doing websites, swiping and swiping a screen, communicating using apps. But, but what I found is when I was resting, I was doing the same thing. It was just different apps, you know, it was Netflix or Instagram or, or, you know, other kind of connected channels using my phone or the same devices. And, and my brain from a neuroplasticity perspective, can't tell the difference between Outlook and Instagram you know, when I'm on a screen for work and then I'm doing the same basic behaviors for rest on the weekend, am I ever really resting? Does that make sense, Ryan? Um, yes. Yeah? And, that makes and, sense. Yep. Yeah. And so, so what I realized is actually, if I'm going to have a day off, I actually need to do something that is the opposite of what I do for work. And that means I have to turn off my screen. So it's not like I'm anti-tech. My wife uh, now she's using tech for work, but she used to be a nurse and didn't use technology very much for work. So, you know, she didn't have to turn off all of the tech on her day off because for her, there wasn't that same connection. But for me, tech equals work in terms of my mind and my habits. And so I need to turn off. And the benefit has honestly been that my life has been 
unbelievably more enjoyable. Uh, my wife will tell you that it's our digital Sabbath that uh, is the most important rhythm for our relationship and our kids' happiness and the health of our family. We have a day every week where we make no plans. We're really deliberate in saying no to all these extracurricular activities so that we wake up and we're like, what do we feel like today? Uh, maybe we'll eat bacon and eggs or maybe we'll play board games or we'll go for a walk or read books, or just mooch around. You know, I love bike riding, and I exercise, and I chainsaw in my backyard, uh, cutting wood, which, you know, physical activity for me is not like work. It's kind of the opposite of what I do. So I have a day where I truly do things that are restful and where I disconnect, and where my family does that as well. And it's a total game changer. We look forward to it every week. That's awesome. Yeah, I can definitely uh, relate to what you're saying too, because so much of what I do is on screens too. Like I actually like going and doing physical work. That feels like rest to me too. So it's yeah, cool. It's, it's interesting, that. isn't it? Rest isn't just, you know, inactive and sedentary. It's not like meditating or just doing stuff that's in, yeah, yeah. sitting around uh, having a coffee. It, I think rest is stuff that is I used to assume that we needed skills to learn to work well. And now I've realized that most of us need skills to rest well. And we don't invest in that. We just think that when I'm not working, then I'll, I'll suddenly rest deeply. And I think that that's not true. Uh, we really need to practice rest to know ourselves well enough to know what rest looks and feels like and to understand our families, you know, introverts, extroverts, physical, inactive. We need to understand the dynamics of the people we live around and then work out together. How do we intentionally create a day of rest that is uh, both one of faith or you know worship or remembrance and and one of of rest physically, mentally, emotionally? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think what you said there is really profound that we need skills in order to rest well. Uh, that definitely resonates with me. So a couple of things that you mentioned that I, I want to touch on a little bit more. You talked about space making habits. What are a few other examples of some space making habits? I think it's important to frame it from a productivity perspective. Uh, so, so I originally wrote the book trying to discover the link between productivity and digital technology. And look, our culture says that if you use technology, you'll be more productive. So imagine graphing productivity, again, digital technology, and it's like this linear line. The more tech you get, the better you'll be. But it's not true from the research and it's not true from my coaching practice and experience. Uh, there comes a point where if you keep getting more apps, you keep getting more technology and spend more and more time online on your weekend as well as at work, you get this kind of plateau where I think it's the productive middle where more tech isn't more productive. It just doesn't you know, increase or decrease your gains. But if you keep going, you actually end up flipping the curve the opposite way. Imagine an upside down you where you're spending more time online. Uh, you're using more apps. You know, maybe you're waking you know, and reaching for your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night. Maybe you're checking your phone on the loo, toilet, you know, like, I don't know if you have loos in America, toilet, you know, um, and, and it, it basically means you start to become wired and tired. You become more distracted. You, you work harder than ever before, but you achieve less. You actually become less happy, less healthy, and less productive by using more technology. Does that make sense? So that's called digital overuse. And all of us have shifted to the right-hand side of that curve post-COVID. Uh, sorry, I asked you a question. Does, it, does that connect at all? I mean, from what you're seeing, that you yeah, have digital absolutely. overuse? 100%. I mean, I, as you're saying that, I'm just thinking about times in my life where I've definitely felt like I've, I've had digital overuse. And I'm sure most, if not everybody listening, can, can relate to at least some time in their life where they felt like that too. 
Yeah. We talk about Zoom fatigue, but I think even broader than that, uh, we're, we're coming to the point where we're starting to feel uncomfortable with how much time we spend online and how reliant we are with our tools. And that's the point where you're usually in digital overuse. And so, uh, so when I talk about the space making habits, there are two habits we need now to be productive. You need tech skills and tech habits. So I call them the habits of, of pace or pacemaking maybe because you're keeping pace, you're, up, you're keeping up to date with all the new stuff and actually learning to use tools well so that you become productive on the left side of that curve. But on the right side of the curve, we need space making habits or the habits of space, which are about unplugging and unwinding and returning to the productive middle from a place of digital overuse. And we need to be working as leaders, as managers, as parents, as dads, uh, as husbands, we need to be working on both sides of those skill sets at the same time, getting better at the tech we use and getting better at not using tech a lot of the time in an intentional way. And they're the space-making habits that the book is about. For yourself and or people that you coach or that have read your book, what do they say when they start implementing some of these things? Like say a, a digital Sabbath, you know, do they say, hey, my productivity actually goes up even though I'm using less tech, I'm working less hours? Or what are some of the things that people say? Yeah, it's interesting. People don't mention productivity a lot. Uh, the research suggests definitely that we need to unplug regularly to be more productive. And I can, you know, I've cited the research in the book, but people basically just say they feel happier and, and more human. <laughs> like we lose our humanity if we're always online. And there is so much of life which is joyful away from a screen, you know, just eating a meal without technology and talking as a family or talking as a, a partner, you know, husband and wife or, or just going outdoors and going for a walk without, you know, earphones in so you can listen to the trees and enjoy the wind uh, and notice the smells and sounds around you or going for an ex, you know, exercising or, or learning a craft or playing music, you know, learning an instrument, uh, reading a physical book and just getting lost in its pages because you've trained your mind not to need kind of 10 second distractions through notifications. Like if we can learn to rewire our brain and to enjoy some of the beautiful things about being disconnected, then we can enjoy the best of the online world when we're using it. But we're also gaining a sense of independence from it. And that's what Sabbath is. I mean, Sabbath has always been uh, giving God the first fruits of your time and saying that I trust you with my week, that when I'm not working, I trust that you are being productive on my behalf and that because I'm a human being and not a human doing, uh, I am I'm called to, to, to sit and be and and enjoy the rest you've given me, and I can trust you in faith with the rest. I mean, I think Sabbath is deeply is a deep faith issue. It's not just a, a skill set, but but there are also some practices which we need to learn around it. Absolutely, yeah. It's it's kind of like slowing down to speed up, right? And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle with that. I know I definitely do. Uh, it's spring here in Minnesota, and it, it was sixty some degrees yesterday. So my wife and I went on a long walk last night, and I mean, man, it was amazing. The birds were out and it's just getting away from the screens and getting outside felt amazing. So yeah, uh, there's a great book, Oliver Burton in 4,000 weeks, right? He, he, he argues that uh, we tend to argue the, the need and the benefit of, let's say, rest from a productivity perspective. But, and I think he's rightly, rightly so. He says that's complete nonsense. Like there is deep value in just going for a walk with your wife and enjoying the smells of spring. You don't have to justify it from a productivity perspective. It has value in and of itself. 
uh, and and we shouldn't be only resting so we can get more done. I mean, that there's something deeply flawed in that mindset in the first place. Does that does that make sense? <laughs> like if, Absolutely. If we're human beings, we should enjoy the beauty of life that you know that God has given us, uh, and not frame everything through the economic productivity mindset. Yeah, for sure. In America, especially, I think the culture is just do more, get more done, make more money and it never stops, right? It, it doesn't matter. You hit one level and then it's okay, I'm going to the next level. So I agree 100% with what you're saying there. Yeah. Uh, and I think it, it's very similar in Australia. I mean, yeah, it, it's success, definitely- success is a mugs game. You'll never get there. There'll always be someone more productive, more successful. Like it, it is that endless treadmill where you run to stand still. And, and that's why there's a point where you say enough you know, enough worry, enough wanting, enough work. They're the words of John Mark Comer. Uh, but the space making habits are really about saying enough. There are going to be pauses in my day. There are going to be pauses in my week. And there's going to be pauses in my year where I intentionally make space to, to unplug and think deeply and be really alive away from my devices. Um, and the, the side benefit is it makes you more productive and you get more done. Absolutely. I mean, it's a win all the way around, right? Success becomes a moving target, I think, for so many people. And they're like, oh, once I hit this level, then I'm going to go on vacation or I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. But you may never hit that level if you don't start doing some of these uh, space-making habits. All right. So I, I'd love to talk a little bit more about productivity. So in your bio, I mentioned a couple of uh, courses that you have. You have List Assassin, Priority Samurai. I'd like to have you just go into a little bit more detail. What are those and how can they help people? Yeah, they're very ridiculously named courses, which I love. You know, productivity can be too serious. Uh, we run these for people all around the world, obviously, using Zoom. Uh, they're all three to four hour training courses for teams. Email Ninja's the one that we started with, and um, that's just been going for years. We've got nearly 20,000 students online alone. And that's about how to take back control of your email inbox. So it's a very practical course. Uh, if you use email lots and you get high volume email, so you know 50, 100, 150, you know, 300 emails a day, uh, it's about how do you set your systems up with Outlook or Gmail and actually create habits where you process rather than scan emails and get to zero each day. So that's a great course. We really love training people on that. Uh, List Assassin is about how to get things done or get the right things done using an online to-do list. So it piggybacks off of David Allen's stuff with getting things done. Uh, we're not affiliated with the David Allen company, but we've tried to simplify what I see in his books and, and take it back to the basics and help people capture their stuff and organize their life using an online list. And then Priority Samurai comes from the, uh, the research that says that most people know where they're heading in the next year, like they know what their goal is. But when you look at their actual calendar and what they do day by day, their day-to-day uh, -day habits and rhythms don't represent the things that they say are most important to achieve. And that's across work and life. So Priority Samurai lifts the lid on that and helps us to really examine how do we translate our bigger goals to our day-to-day, -day, uh, including our life goals, You know where we want to head in the long term. So uh, I have a number of courses. Obviously, Space Maker is also a course on digital wellness to really help teams unplug and unwind in a practical way during COVID. Uh, that's also really taking off because teams and managers are losing or managers are losing staff. We're, we're hearing about the great resignation. People are burnt out and just exhausted. And it's about self-care and creating a rethink about what it means to be productive in the post-COVID digital age. Um, but yeah, they're just training courses and uh, I'd love to hear from you if you're interested. 
Yeah. So it's funny you brought up email ninja as well, because um, I was going to ask about that. So I don't, I don't get a ton of emails, but my wife was just telling me the other day, let me help you organize this <laughs> because that is not one of my strengths either. So could you give uh, for each of these courses, maybe if you don't mind, just maybe two or three practical things, like starting with the email, what, what are a couple of things people could do if they just, the, they're, if they're a mess in that area like me? Yeah. So look, firstly, I'd say don't use your inbox like uh, a to-do list. You know, don't use it for everything. You know, you keep your to-dos, you keep your archiving, you keep your waiting, your delegations, or or when you don't know what to do with something, you leave it in your inbox. So, so think of your inbox like a post box. Uh, in Australia, we only get letters like twice a twice a day nowadays. I don't know about in the states, but uh, if you got a hundred letters a day and then you open up the bills and then put them back and worked from your letterbox, it would be ridiculous. You know, you take them out and you put them into a workflow. Uh, and so, I'd say you need to create a system where you can. Uh, create a folder for actions. So there are your to-dos. For reading, which is your like electronic bookshelf, your waiting folder for stuff you've delegated and you're waiting a response on. You need a really, really simple archive setup, not like a hundred folders on the left-hand side of your screen. And, and don't feel afraid of using the delete button. Uh, if, if you're interested in knowing the basics, you can download a bunch of really good videos uh, at emailninja.com.au. They're free and you can get all the basics. I'll show you how to set up your action reading waiting folder uh, and, and the basic principles just in about probably in about 12 minutes of videos. So they're pretty tight and they're all professionally filmed and animated. So feel free to look them up uh, for email ninja. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I, I know where I'm going to be going right after this. Impress my wife. <laughs> That, that was awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Would you mind doing the same thing for for uh, the other two courses you mentioned? Just briefly yeah, so, a couple of tips. Yeah, of course. So look, List Assassin is the idea that we have so much going on in our lives. I mean, I if I well, when I defined my work and life projects in terms of, you know, a project might be I need to get a renovation for my house or I want to have a hundred podcasts this year that I speak on, or, you know, I want to start a new course. I've got like about 70 or 80 projects on the go right now across work and life. And we are trying to hold all of this in our head. And if you're someone who wakes up at two in the morning, you can't sleep and you need to write a bunch of stuff down on a list just to feel like your brain can kind of switch off and go to sleep, then I'd say you need a system where instead of doing that, you get everything out of your head so that instead of storing 200 to-dos in your mind and trying to juggle them mentally, you objectify it, you define it. And then the only mental work that you're doing is trying to prioritize what to do today and what not to do today. And there's a whole lot of stress relief that comes by capturing all of your ideas onto a two-level list, projects and tasks, uh, organizing it well, probably on an online to-do list then reviewing your week so that you know what your most important three to five tasks are, and then reviewing it uh, in a day-to-day kind of fashion. So we call it capture, organize, review, and do. Uh, those four habits will be a total game changer and reduce your stress and increase your ability not to just do the right things, but to commit to what you're not committing to. Uh, I think that's a David Allen term. I'm not sure, but that the key is to feel like you don't have to always feel behind and that you can be really clear about what you're not going to do this week. That's gold. That sounds very similar to what I do. And it's been a game changer for me. Absolutely. And then what about prioritizing? So you have another course on that as well. What are just a couple of things you would say there? Yeah. So we've taken a different approach. I mean, we, we, you need to choose your goals and then break them down into clear, actionable steps. 
You need to know your big rocks, which is a term that uh, Stephen Covey came up with so that you set goalposts and you know what is like what is worth achieving each week. And they, those big rocks need to be doable so that throughout the week you can achieve them. But, but the start of the course really says that we need to be clear about really where we're going in work and life. And to do that, you need habits where you're thinking deeply. And most of us don't prioritize time to think. Uh, I remember having a chat with a guy called Gil, who was my mentor, and he's an executive. And he was looking out of the window with his feet up, eating a muffin and having a coffee one day. And someone walked past his door and said, oh, Gil, I see you're working really hard. And he looked at them and very confidently said, actually, I'm doing my most important work. And then he looked out of the window and started to continue staring, you know. And for him, he was confident that thinking about his people and his culture and his job and his projects, that was real work and he should be paid for it. And in fact, the higher you go up in senior leadership and management or business, the more you need to be paid to think and not just actively do. Uh, And yet we often do the opposite. So we start Priority Samurai with a whole lot of habits that can help you think in an intentional way and give give yourself the permission to think. Because if you don't think deeply, you won't have great goals. And if you don't have great goals, you can't break them down and you won't know what to do day by day because you're not convicted about your priorities. That's awesome. Some really, really great stuff there. Yeah. Thinking about things and and prioritizing them and getting that clear is very important because lots of people, they're very busy, but they're not necessarily getting anything meaningful done, right? All right. So if you could go back in time to your 20-year-old self, what three pieces of advice would you give yourself? That's a great question. Let me think. I'd probably say don't buy some of the clothes I used to buy. Uh, but on a serious note, uh, I think I would probably say be less hard on yourself. I mean, I think I've always been very passionate about achieving things, but I've probably done it with a bit too much effort or cared a little bit too much. You know, now I'm in my 40s and I'm experienced some some hardship and some real real life pain. I I'm like, oh, in my 20s, I probably would have enjoyed myself a bit more. Uh, and uh, what else would I have said? Don't tackle too much at the same time. That was a lesson I certainly learned. You can achieve a lot of what you want in life, but you can't achieve it all at the same time. And I shouldn't try to. And I probably would have said invest earlier, buy a house, a second house, or uh, start putting money into shares a lot earlier. Don't be afraid to start investing financially at an early age. There's some advice. Yeah, that, that's awesome. That's some great wisdom there. All right, last question for you here, Daniel. What is your definition of an extraordinary man? I, and I know you ask this because I've heard your podcast, which is great, by the way. I, I, love, I love what you do. When I go to what's an extraordinary man, I, I look at the life of Jesus, who I'm obviously a follower of, and I just think his life is extraordinary. And if I can be a bit more like him, that would be great. You know, I love that uh, it, what we read in the Gospels is that he had these patterns and these rhythms of prayer and reflection where his inner life uh, was so rich and meaningful that it kind of his outer life was an expression of his inner life. And I, I want that to be my life. I think that is what makes someone extraordinary, where you see something deep inside of them flowing outside rather than the other way around. Uh, and I, I love, you know, you see in Jesus his deep sacrificial nature, this ability to, to lead and to know what he was going to do, but to do it sacrificially. But he also led from the front and also from within. He had you know, his friends, his disciples, his followers, and there was this 
amazing relationship that he seemed to have with his team along the way, which I just think is amazing. Uh, and he also was so confident in himself that he didn't need other people's approval. And I, I, even though he was wonderful to people, he, he actually said he didn't need their approval. He didn't need, if people criticized him or challenged him, he had that self-confidence because he had that inner life and therefore he wasn't trying to prove himself to anyone. So look, I just can't go past uh, Jesus as the archetype extraordinary man. And I hope I can be a bit more like him. Fantastic answer. I loved you expanding on some of those things as well. And uh, I agree 100%. Well, this has been awesome. Daniel, where can people go? Where's the best place for people to go to find out more about you, connect with you? Yeah. So spacemakers.com.au, uh, spacemakers plural, which is a bit different than my book. Uh, and look, you can get, you can actually get free videos from the book site to help you plan your digital Sabbath. Uh, there's a worksheet to help you do that and instructional videos. Uh, the other one is emailninja.com.au. The videos are there. You can start to process your inbox to zero and get some really practical tips. Uh, and all my information is there on the contact page. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Daniel. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ryan. It's great to meet you in person. Guys, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Extraordinary Man podcast. Here's the thing, you're never going to maximize your potential on your own. So I'm personally inviting you to come and join me in the private Extraordinary Man Facebook group so you can level up your business and your life. Just head over to Facebook and type Extraordinary Man into the search box and it will show up as the first result. Iron sharpens iron and this is the number one place for you to connect with me and other like-minded men who are on a mission to maximize their potential. My goal is to help you become the man God created you to be in all areas of your life. So come and join us in the Facebook group and upgrade your business and your life. I'll see you on the next episode.